Are you a real know-it-all? Do you annoy your family by shouting the answers while watching Jeopardy? Do you drive people crazy when you start a sentence with, well, actually? Well, guess what? You can go fact yourself. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Go Fact Yourself, the show where we quiz the smartest people we know and find out why they love what they love. I'm Helen Hong. And now, socially distancing from our homes in Los Angeles, here's our moderator, J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. Wonderful to see you as always. Nice to see you. Oh, Helen, we are approaching what I believe they call the holiday season. Uh, is that an, is, <laughs> I was going to ask, is that, an, is that an exciting time for you? And instead I got a hook. So uh, <laughs> how are you doing? How are you holding up? Well, as you know, uh, I have an infant in my household, which is making us all very tired and sort of short emotionally a little bit on the edge. And to pile on, my parents are threatening to come to town and spend a month here. The nerve. Oh, wait, a month. I, I was I was going to I was going to give you a hard time about your parents having the nerve to visit you for the holidays, but staying with you for a, a month. month. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, it's, oh, oh, boy. Oh <laughs> and uh, what, what would be an, an ideal amount of time? Like at what point at what point are you like, you know what? That was helpful. And I have very few negative feelings and I'm ready to release you. Uh, but a month uh, three is too days. much. I'm going to say three days. days. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say three days. So, so that's going to be a very interesting negotiation you have to get between three days and a month. Eat your turkey and, and get it back on that plane. <laughs> <laughs> Take your leftovers and go home. Ah, oh, the holiday spirit is alive and well. And uh, do, do you think you're going to have success in convincing them uh, not to stay for so long? Or no, 100% no, because okay. uh, they live across the country and they have a new grandchild who they are obsessed uh, with. So they're just, ah, uh, they're so excited to come check out, you know, they've met the grandchild. They were yeah. here when they were born. But yeah, they just are can't stop talking about it. And I'm like, oh, man. Are there any positives to it? Is it going to help you uh, take a break from taking care of the kid? It is Baby Hong's first Thanksgiving. So that'll mm-hmm. be exciting. Baby Hong is, uh, you know, just taking their first foray into food. Like actual food. Oh, so sure. Okay. Maybe we'll rub a little bit of gravy on Baby Hong's g- <laughs> little gums. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And by the way, for anyone listening in my family, if you want to rub gravy on my gums, I'm totally for it. It's going to be a great Thanksgiving. All right. Today on Go Fact Yourself, two guests will compete to answer questions about facts they know, facts they might not know, and frankly, facts they should know. Plus, we'll meet actual experts on two very different topics. And finally, we'll declare one of our guests the winner of today's show. Let's get started and meet today's guest, Helen, who is up first. He is a Grammy-nominated singer, songwriter, podcaster, and voice actor from the band Bowling for Soup. It's Jarrett Reddick. Hi, Jarrett Reddick. Hey, it's me. It is Hi. you. It I really know. is. That's awesome. I'm so glad to be here. This is great. Oh, we're so happy to have you as well. Now, there are so many ways that people can hear your voice. You've got mm-hmm. podcasts. Uh, one is called Jarrett Goes to the Movies, another called Rockstar Dad Show. Mm-hmm. Listeners who aren't maybe fans of Bowling for Soup have still likely heard your voice because uh, you did the theme song for Phineas and Ferb as well as a uh, character on that cartoon show. Yeah. But the thing I have to ask you about first is you have been the voice for, I, I believe, over 10 years now of Chucky cheese yeah that is one of those things where you know when it when it comes up it's so nostalgic for me that i get giddy because we didn't have chuck e cheese where i grew up i got to go to chuck e cheese when i would go visit my grandmother and and i always just thought it was just the greatest place ever and you know i've been him for i think at one point between phineas and ferb and the commercials that i was doing at the time and chuck e cheese it was like you no parent 
with a child, un, you know, under the age of ten, didn't hear me at least once or twice a day. <laughs> There's no escape. No, from terrorific from it and your influence on children. <laughs> That's right. The main thing that I have to get across here, guys, and 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 especially yeah. to my uh, to Molly, who um, you're going to introduce shortly. Like, I don't actually have to wear the suit, Molly. I um, I <laughs> I'm just. His voice. No, don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. We have this image of you in the whole getup and everything. That's not me in there. That that doesn't help you get into yeah. character in the VO booth no, wearing it also, a giant furry it, costume? It did, also did not help me get dates when I was single for a while. You know, just, <laughs> that is Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, okay. Well, I was that in high school. Uh, yeah. I uh, I don't think we're talking about the same thing. You're like, thing. no, no. I really am Chuck E. Cheese. I swear. Like, I am Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> Bowling for Soup has had a lot of great success. Helen mentioned that you guys were Grammy nominated. Mm-hmm. I was very surprised to learn that the category in which you were nominated, you were up against Bon Jovi, yeah. Dave Matthews Band, NSYNC, and No Doubt. That's right. What a category that was. Uh, yeah. What was your Grammy experience like? It was great. I mean, it was a very different year because it's it was the year after 9-11. And so it was all about, you know, building New York up. And so they mm. – it was actually at Madison Square Gardens instead of, you know, in L.A. where it usually is. And so – and honestly, like, it was, it was one of those things where it was the first time that we had done anything like that. So it was cool to get recognized by Bonnie Raitt, you know. Like, that's the thing, yeah. right? It, it was like – the people that you knew you were going to see at the Grammys, you know, and this is how I am around famous people anyway. It's like if I know I'm going to see famous people, it's like, okay, I'm prepared for this. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I'm shaking hands with Chuck Berry. Bonnie Raitt kisses me on the cheek. I, I get a picture with Dave what? Grohl and all this. But then Michael J. Fox walks in the room and I'm like, oh, God, I may pass <laughs> out, guys. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can do this. Did he sure. look up at you and go, "Yo, Chuck E. Cheese"? <laughs> well, this was a little bit before. <laughs> yeah, before but he then, was so prescient. So. Yes, you know, with his time travel, he knew that that was going to be happening. <laughs> you mentioned that that experience at the Grammys was a while ago, but uh, Bowling for Soup is still making new music. Yeah. Tell us what you guys are up to. And, well, we have a new single coming out this month in November. We also have a new album coming out in April of next year. Live shows starting back next year as well. I just released a solo country album, and so during COVID, it was just all about creation and just trying to make, you know, trying to really make the time count that we were at home because it's the longest we've ever been off the road. Wow. I've heard you say that uh, doing this acoustic shows from home kind of kept you sane. Yeah. And speaking of which, you've been very open about your mental health issues mm-hmm. and being an advocate for mental health awareness. Why was that important for you to speak up about that? You know, so here's the thing. So obviously I'm, I'm in a funny band. I'm, I'm known as, as a very happy guy. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm definitely not one that you're ever going to meet and you're going to be like, well, what's wrong with that guy? Like, so when I experienced depression, anxiety for the first time, I was like, I don't even know how this is possible. Like I'm the fart joke guy. What is even going on (laughs) so what i found was whenever i started talking about it a lot of people would be like whoa you know like if that guy is gonna Mm. come out and talk about it then you know like maybe it's not such a big deal you know and like maybe i should talk to somebody and without me wanting it to be a cause it, it had to be i'm very active and and try and put my experiences out there with anxiety and depression and and with you know trying to help people through organizations like foundation 45 and punk rock saves lives trying to help people you know find care and just outlets and find some relief in it because it's you know it's a it's a stigma 
um, that's attached to mental health. And it's something that a lot of people, you know, you, sometimes you don't even realize what's going on with yourself, you know, and then, and then, mm. you know, uh, but yeah, it's, I appreciate you bringing that up because it's something that's very important to me and, and important to a, a lot of people out there. And just to be clear, just because you get help for your mental health issues doesn't mean that you cannot still make fart jokes. That's right. Yeah. Oh, totally. Okay. No, I'm still, I still get paid for that. That's what's great. Oh, that was the one thing <laughs> holding me back. Yeah. Oh, no, it's great. Yeah, still. I'm not joking. Like, yeah, it's still, fart jokes are still paying the bills. It's just, oh. you know, now I'm, now I'm medicated and I have to talk to somebody every three months. <laughs> but have you ever made a fart joke as Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> oh, huh? I'm certain that I have. I'm certain that I have, yeah. <laughs> thanks so much for being here, Jarrett yeah, Reddick. Thanks for having me. Helen, against whom will Jarrett be competing? She is a best-selling author and award-winning journalist who is national political correspondent for Time magazine. It's Molly Ball. Hi, Molly Ball. Hi, and I do it all wearing a Chuck E. Cheese suit. Oh, yes, yes, for <laughs> yes for, for our listeners, uh, I'm sorry you cannot see the visual of Molly here in the full Chuck E. Cheese suit. <laughs> Very coincidental. She didn't even know that Jarrett would be on the show. Yeah, it just <laughs> happened that way. Molly, I'm so happy to meet you because I'm such a fan. Every time I see you pop up on one of these uh, news commentary shows, which I'm kind of a, a junkie for, uh, oh, it, it so always sorry. makes the show better. <laughs> Well, I first knew of you from being on these Sunday news panel shows, and I, I watch all of them. I am at to the point where I actually have had stress dreams where I'm on one of these panel shows and can't get myself to articulate, you know, what I'm supposed to be saying. Uh, is it a stressful experience for you or fun or both? That is also my stress dream. No, you know, it's funny. Uh, I'm usually on television to talk about my writing, so it's usually a subject that I know quite well. And I don't get stage fright. I don't freeze up. And I don't do a lot of prep. It's funny, you know, you do see... Some mm. of my colleagues will go on these shows with like a big old pad of paper where they've made notes on everything. And I'm like, oh, you're the substance person. <laughs> <laughs> and Molly Ball is all style. That's right. That's right. I'm, I'm here for the jokes. That's like my entire comedy career. That's exactly what you just yeah. said. Mine too, apparently. I'm like, wait, I have to, what? I needed to do preparation? Ma material. No. Yeah. yeah. You've written about politics for over 15 years in publications like The Atlantic, Politico, now Time Magazine, where you're the national political correspondent. How did you get interested in politics? What's sort of your origin story? I actually got interested in journalism. So, and I needed a job and there was a job open <laughs> covering politics. That's literally how it happened. I was a general assignment reporter for the Las Vegas Sun, one of the two news daily newspapers in Las Vegas. The bigger paper, the Review Journal, was tired of me scooping them and wanted to hire me. But the only job they had open was covering politics, which I was obviously not qualified to do. But I guess I talked my way into it. And that was 2006. Wow. And I've been covering politics ever since. Is it easier or harder to cover politics now than, you know, say 15 years ago? It's yeah. different, you know? I mean, the news cycle keeps moving faster and faster right. and you have Twitter and so on. But I think we often forget the upsides of all of this, which are, number one, just the incredible access to information. You know, when mm. I had my first job in newspapers and, you know, there was one computer in the corner. I'm going to sound so old, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> one computer in the corner that had the web on it. So there was so much information that you could only get by going to a location and pulling a file or calling someone and asking them. And if they didn't happen to be in their house next to their phone, you couldn't reach them and they would just have to get back to you in a few days. Um, so there's just so much more that we know and can know. And it's so much easier to track things down. Uh, Helen mentioned that you were a best-selling author. The book that she is referring to is a book called Pelosi, not surprisingly, about Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. Why did the topic of covering Nancy Pelosi appeal to you? When I started working for Time Magazine in late 2017, one of my first assignments was to write a cover profile of Nancy Pelosi, who at the time was the minority leader 
and had never been on the cover of Time magazine, interestingly, huh. despite becoming the first woman speaker of the House back in 2007. Yeah. She was quoted saying, well, isn't it funny that they put, you know, they put Boehner on the cover, they put McConnell <laughs> on the cover, they put Duke Gingrich on the cover. The major political dynamic in America in 2018 was this historic uprising of American women who, you know, I've been covering women in politics for a long time. I had never seen women rise up in this way. They certainly didn't come out like this when Hillary Clinton was on the ballot, the first mm. female major party nominee, right? And so my piece was sort of about this tension of, you know, how, how negatively uh, Nancy Pelosi is perceived versus what she sort of represents at this time when women are rising up in politics. Mm. Democrats won the midterms. There was this hilarious sort of 180 degree reversal in Nancy Pelosi's public image. And I felt like she's she's one of these people who everybody has an opinion about, but nobody really knows. And so mm. I sort of built off of that profile that was published on the cover of Time magazine in September 2018. And now it's a book. And did she appreciate being on the cover finally? No, you know, uh, I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yes like, and no is what I'm saying. Too late. <laughs> right. Uh, no, I'm, I'm reliably informed that, that, that she loved the cover, but a big Part of that piece and of my book is about her relationship with perceptions of her. Mm. I'm not the only one. I, many, many people have tried to get her to engage on this question of, gosh, can you believe they're putting you in all these negative ads? And she'll just say, if I weren't effective, I wouldn't be a target. Next Damn question. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. wow. uh, and, and frankly, you know, it's, it, it's obvious when you think about it. She never could have gotten where she did if she did care what people think of her. Mm, D-G-A-F Pelosi. <laughs> Last thing I want to ask you about, this is not your first time being a contestant on a game show. Uh, you were on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Uh, you won $100,000. Congratulations. That must have been very exciting. Thank you. I have to know, what did you do with your winnings? <laughs> it's the reason I have a house. <laughs> oh, very good. Wow. <laughs> Well, you know, like 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 any Jewish good Jewish girl, I, I put it in a, my bank account and paid my tax. Oh, okay. Uh. <laughs> but it later, but uh, I bought myself a nice watch. Okay, uh, something. And fun. now I have a house. Oh, very good, very good. I, I wish you good luck on this show. I have to inform you now: the top prize is going to be a little less than that, but <sighs> I, we're still looking forward to a good competition. Thanks so much for joining us, Molly Ball. Happy to be here. All right, Molly and Jarrett, we asked each of you to provide us with a few topics outside your field of work in which you feel you have some expertise. Jarrett, you said you know a lot about John Hughes movies, the band Motley Crue, and comedian George Carlin. Whereas, Molly, you said you know a lot about crossword puzzles, the life and works of the American poet James Merrill, and the 1990s Colorado Rockies baseball team. We've got a very nice potpourri of topics today. Later on, we're going to ask each of you some in-depth trivia questions about one of those topics. But first, we're going to get your thoughts on something you might know nothing about. It's time to split some hairs with our What's the Difference round. We'll have one question for each of you, each worth up to two points. If either of you gives an incorrect answer, the other person has a chance to steal. Your topic today, something stinks. First up, Jarrett. Jarrett, while you might think that either one stinks, what is the difference between a scent and an odor? A scent and an odor. I am going to say that the difference between a scent and an odor, of course, <laughs> is that a scent is pleasant and an odor mm -hmm. is considered not pleasant. All right. We've got Jared's answer. We don't know yet if he's entirely correct. Molly, you can steal if you think he doesn't have it just right. What do you think? I'm going to say scent disperses more widely than an odor. 
it disperses more widely. All right. Well, this segment is starting to reek. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judge's table for the facts. <laughs> Here are the facts. Both terms refer to something with a distinctive smell, but the difference is scent usually refers to a smell that is pleasant and possibly weak as in a lemon scent. Odor usually refers to a smell that is unpleasant and possibly strong, as in body odor. Uh, that's right. And while sometimes these words can be interchangeable, think about how we have scent hounds instead of odor hounds, and why we have odor eaters and not scent eaters, because that would just be crazy. <laughs> Helen, how do our scores smell? You know, I think each of you got one point, because Jarrett, you did get the pleasant versus not pleasant, uh, but Molly, you did uh, speak about the concentration of the smell, so... Good on you. One point each. One point each. Very good. Up next in Something Stinks is Molly. Molly, your question comes from a listener. Who is it, Helen? I will let them tell you themselves because we have a listener recording. Listeners, if you'd like to submit a suggestion for our What's the Difference round, go to gofactyourpod.com and click on Get Involved. Okay, hit it. Hi, everyone. This is Holly Luck Sullivan from Mebane, North Carolina. My question for What's the Difference is... While both words sound a little stinky, what's the difference between instinctive and instinctual? Thanks so much. Love the show. All right. Thank you so much, Holly. All right, Molly, you heard Holly's question. What is the difference between instinctive and instinctual? Um, I'm going to say instinctive is synonymous with innate, like it refers to the way uh, an organism is like hardwired to do something, and mm -hmm. instinctual just refers to habitually or naturally doing something. All right, Jared, you can steal if you don't think Molly's got it exactly right. What do you think? Instinctive, I'm going to guess, is more about like one individual and instinctual to be more about what a group does. I just, what a group does. I just made that up. I, I could kind of tell from this smile on your face. Right. Okay. You just made that up, but it doesn't mean you're wrong. We'll find okay. out. Well, we'll see. All right. Well, my instincts tell me this segment needs to end. Let's go to Helen Hong at the judge's table for the facts. Here are the facts. Instinctive refers to unlearned behavior that appears to be unconscious or automatic, like the fight or flight response. You're just acting on instinct. Instinctual can also refer to behavior, but more often refers to the thoughts and feelings that motivate that behavior. It has more to do with a psychological response than a biological one. Uh, that's right. In fact, instinctive, the word goes back to the 1600s. Instinctual is a 20th century word that came about after the invention of psychology. And instinctivual is a word I just made up. Helen, how did our guest do? I think Molly got one point because you definitely got instinctive correct. Didn't quite get there with instinctual. So one point for Molly. One point for Molly. All right. What is our score at the end of this round? At the end of that round, Jarrett Reddick has one point and Molly Ball has two points. But those scores are bound to change as we move on to questions about topics our guests have chosen for themselves. That's all up ahead when we come back on Go Fact Yourself. Helen, you sound a little different than you did in the rest of this recording. I am in a different location using completely different devices. And so am <laughs> I. But it's so important, no matter where we are in the world, that we let you know how much we love Magic Spoon. <laughs> That's right. How's that for a segue? Hey, in all seriousness, the holiday season is upon us. What are you going to get for the person who wants to have a great breakfast but doesn't want it to be boring? Helen, I think you know what I'm hinting that they should get, especially if they're shopping for me. 
Magic Spoon Cereal. Yes, Magic Spoon Cereal. Oh, nothing would make me happier than on a holiday morning to open a box and find that it is Magic Spoon. Because healthy breakfast does not have to be boring with Magic Spoon. It's got all of the amazing flavors that you love in a cereal, but without all of the carbs and sugar. And it's amazing as a midnight snack right before bed. Helen, tell them why it's so good besides the taste. (laughs) Magic Spoon has zero grams of sugar, 140 calories, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. It Mm. is keto. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's keto. (laughs) That was my ad-libbing, everybody. (laughs) Saying, mmm, and I meant Mm. it. Julian, keep that in. (laughs) It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. And you can build your own box. Available flavors to build your very own custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry, cinnamon, cookies and cream, and maple waffle. Get ready for another ad lib. Mmm. <laughs> Helen, what should they do if they want to get some of that mmm good for the holidays? Go to magicspoon.com slash gofact to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code GOFACT at checkout to save $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash gofact and use the code gofact to save $5 off. Once again, mmm. <laughs> and thank, thank you, you, Magic Spoon. Hello, I'm Pee Wee Herman. You might know me from TV, but I really want to be a DJ. It took some convincing. But KCRW finally agreed to give me an hour on the radio to play you some music with my friends. (laughs) Anyway, tune in for one hour of the bestest, most funnest time you'll ever have on the Pee Wee Herman Radio Hour. I am personally inviting you to tune your transistor radio in to hear me or go to KCRW.com. Duh. (laughs) It'll be available for the whole week. From November 26th to December 3rd. So you can listen to it again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> the Pee Wee Herman Radio Hour was produced by Maximum Fun and can be streamed on KCRW.com until December 3rd. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Jarrett Reddick and Molly Ball. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Jarrett, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about John Hughes movies, the band Motley Crue, and comedian George Carlin. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us what John Hughes movies mean to you. Well, to me, the 80s, were it was the ultimate time to grow up. And the person who told the stories of growing up in that time was John Hughes. And he just had his thumbprint is all over the world. <laughs> you know, I, I just the movies that he made to me are timeless and will forever be what we associate that time in my life with. And uh, what are some of your favorites of John Hughes movies? I love 16 Candles and Weird Science and Breakfast Club, the teenage movies, mm-hmm. but also, you know, Planes, Trains and Automobiles, yeah. and Uncle Buck. And then then, of course, there's the vacation movies, which to me are, are you know, it's it might be. 
you know, top 10 most quotable franchise ever. Oh, fun. All right. You also said you know a lot about the band Motley Crue. Motley Crue was instrumental in really changing my life. You know, stayed my favorite band for many, many years. And I was a drummer first and I absolutely worshiped Tommy Lee. And, you know, Motley Crue were the original, like, bigger than life band you know they had the big houses and the and the car with the hot tub in it and just <laughs> girls and <laughs> you, before we had you know access to what their lives are really like mm. you know so they right. could live this this fantasy out it because we only got to hear what the magazines told us once a month you know whereas now you know I, if i don't tweet what i have for breakfast i lose you know 140 followers <laughs> and then finally you said you know a lot about the comedian george carlin to me george carlin is was the greatest comedian ever and i i wish i say this so much he was so observational had such a good outlook and and such a good a grasp on what was going on in the actual world around him and in, mm -hmm. in the, the communities and in, in politics and in just the, you know, the planet. I wish he was around <laughs> to comment on it. You know, these last few years, I think we would probably all get a lot of insight as to what the hell's going on out there if he were still around. All right. Well, to summarize, Jarrett, you said you know a lot about John Hughes movies, the band Motley Crue and comedian George Carlin. Today, we're going to quiz you about George Carlin. Okay. All right. Uh, first of all, this is a topic that was very easy for me to write about because I also was a huge George Carlin fan. Um, did you get to see him live? I did. I got to see him live about six times. Uh, oh, wow. And, and uh, so I got to see him on several different tours. It never didn't absolutely just floor me. And uh, do you have a favorite album or routine of his? You know, it's just where he goes, everybody's going on and on about the planet. The planet is, the planet is fine. The people are f***ed. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it would be a good song lyric, too. <laughs> well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic of George Carlin to test your mastery in the subject with an expert-level question worth up to three points. But before that, to let you show your love, here are five trivia questions about your topic, each worth one point. Now, if you want it, you're allowed to hint for any two of these five questions. Now, Molly, do listen closely, because if Jarrett answers incorrectly, you can steal. Molly, by the way, how much do you know about George Carlin? Uh... Very little. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you certainly are in the spirit. Yeah, wow. absolutely. The journalist comes out swinging. All right. Here's question number one. Jarrett, on October 11, 1975, George Carlin was already successful when he hosted the very first episode of a new sketch comedy show, despite not appearing in any of the sketches. That show is still running today. What's it called? It is called Saturday Night Live. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. Fun fact, George Carlin also hosted the show's 183rd episode in November of 1984. All right, here's question number two. One of George Carlin's classic routines debuted somewhat ironically as in early performances such as on The Tonight Show, Carlin appeared in a suit and tie, coiffed hair, and clean-shaven while portraying a spaced-out stoner who delivered a meteorological forecast on the news. What was the name of that counterculture character or the particular job title Carlin gave him? Uh, he was the um, he was the weatherman guy. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, oh man, I I want to say I'm going to go ahead and take a hint on this one. Okay, how about that first hint, Helen? It rhymes with the blippy blippy weatherman. Blippy blippy weatherman. Something something weatherman. The nifty nifty. Oh, hippie 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 weatherman. Helen. 
Not quite. Okay. All not right. quite. Not quite. Okay. Helen does not give you the point on that. That means, Molly, you have a chance to steal. Is it Hippy Dippy Weatherman? Helen? It is Hippy Dippy Weatherman. Congratulations, Molly. Yes, it was Al Sleet, the Hippy <sighs> Dippy Weatherman. Darn it, I Helen, Jarrett did get Hippy and Weatherman. Do you want to give them a half a point? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. A half a point for each of you. <laughs> Fun fact, Carlin also performed the Hippy Dippy Weatherman on the Ed Sullivan Show and the Flip Wilson Show. And in 1967, a recording of it was released as a single on 45. All right, Jarrett, let's see how you do on question number three. Perhaps George Carlin's most influential stand-up routine is his seven words you can never say on television, also known as the seven dirty words. That list is still relevant as saying all but one of them will still get, say, a family-friendly podcast labeled as explicit. What is the only one of these seven words that you can say on this podcast without getting bleeped? Piss. Helen? That is correct. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> and I love the I love the ferocity with which you said that. <laughs> The other six words, and uh, Julian, our editor, get ready to bleep. The other words, of course, are shit, fuck, 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 and t- <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We've just never said any of those words on this podcast. We have podcast never before. said any of the words I'm on this show tickled. before. I'm tickled. I'm tickled. All right, Jared, here's question number four. George Carlin helped HBO become more popular, and HBO helped Carlin become more popular thanks to the 14 TV specials he had on the channel. But which of the following was not the name of a George Carlin HBO special? Was it Carlin on Campus, Carlin at Carnegie, Live in Chicago, Jammin' in New York, or What Am I Doing in New Jersey? Uh, Live in Chicago is not a George Carlin special. Helen? That is correct. That is correct. Didn't need the hint there. Very, very good. Others include Playing With Your Head, Back in Town, and You Are All Diseased. Have you watched all of them, Jarrett? Yes. At some point in my life, I've seen all of them. My dad was, it was of the generation of like, he would come home from work and we would all go back to our rooms and you know, that he, it was his time on TV. For some reason, when George Carlin or Eddie Murphy had a special, we would all sit there and watch it. And uh, Whoa. You know, maybe the greatest, oh, so cool. maybe the greatest parenting move, you know, of all time. <laughs> Great fun. Amazing. Here is question number five. We know George Carlin as a stand-up working solo on stage, but Carlin actually started performing as a comedy duo. Who was his partner? Uh, uh, bit, uh, you do have a hint available if you'd like to use your second I'll hint. I'll go ahead and take the, the hint, please. Helen, how about that second hint? His first name is what you use to raise your car to change a tire, and his last name is what happens to your food when you leave it on the stove for too long. Jack Burns. Helen? That is correct. An excellent use of the hint. Jack Burns is correct. Very nice job, Jared. Fun fact, Jack Burns would go on to have success in another comedy duo of Burns and Schreiber. He also was the voice, speaking of voice work, of one of the crash test dummies in those popular car safety ads. All right, Jared, you did quite well in that round, but here now is your expert-level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Jarrett, although George Carlin is known as one of the most important stand-up comedians of all time, he also made his mark as an actor, perhaps most notably in a series of film comedies released in 1989, 1991, and 2020. Yet, even though George Carlin died in 2008, a hologram version of his character appears in the third installment of this franchise. For up to three points, what is the name of this excellent film franchise? What was the name of Carlin's character in the films? And in the 2020 film, 
what is the name of that character's daughter, which happens to be the name of Carlin's daughter, who happens to make an appearance in that film? Well, you got me because I have not seen the third one. Uh, okay. But his name is Rufus. He's in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Mm-hmm. And then there is the third one, which just came out. And his daughter would mm-hmm. be named... You said that that it's named after his actual daughter. It is, yes. Okay, his and the daughter also appears in the film. I can't. I'm not going to get that third part. All right. Would you like to just say your favorite uh, daughter name? Good. Okay, sure. Uh, all right. I'm just going to go with Julie. With Julie. Yeah. All right. Well, Helen is taking note of your answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is a writer, performer, producer, and radio host whose book and one-person show, A Carlin Home Companion, tells about life with her father, George Carlin. Oh, it's man. Kelly Carlin. <laughs> Hello, Kelly Carlin. Hello, everyone. Wow. That is humiliating that I did not <laughs> oh, know Oh, no, please. This is a humiliation-free zone. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, are you feeling that uh, Jarrett should feel humiliated? Absolutely. Zero humiliation zone here. <laughs> oh, I, I love it. I love every... The whole segment's been fantastic. It's been oh, to listen I, into. I got to show you this. I realized that this isn't video, but in my studio hangs... Oh, a portrait of your wow. dad that my wife painted for me is <gasps> what I look at when I'm entertaining people and making people laugh. I have your dad Whoa. looking over me. Uh, I just gave myself chills. But that is the reason he is there because he literally brightens my day every single day. Oh, Jer- and Jared, that is a beautiful, beautiful picture of him. I can see the soul in his eyes. <laughs> Thank mm. you so much. Yeah, I will let my wife know. It's uh, Please do. definitely... Uh, is a very, very important person to me. I remember so many times of just when I was listening to him and what I was doing and all of that. So, so, so cool to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you, too. Well, Kelly, this is a great example of something that you've, uh, you've, you've been quoted as saying that you've become a receptacle for the love people have for my dad. <laughs> How has that been for you? And, and was that a journey to be able to accept that love? It was very startling at the beginning, right after my dad died. I mean, I knew my dad was popular. I knew his audience loved him, but I didn't quite realize that everyone saw him in some way as their uncle, like Uncle George. Mm-hmm. You know, or their brother if they were his age. And so there was this just familial love that would come. And I knew that I didn't have to do anything with it. I didn't have to, you know, respond in certain ways. I just had to receive it for people and just be mm. the one who says, thank you. Yes. That's very gracious of you. Well, it's, you know, it's easy when it's when it's George Carlin as your dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, another role that you've kind of taken on is sort of fighting the people who misunderstand him. And uh, that seems to happen a lot, like most misunderstanding and misinformation does uh, on Twitter. Um, what's it like to see a meme with uh, a photo of your dad and a quote from him and then people completely missing the point? Yeah. At first, I thought I had to be the police of all of that. Mm. And I realized, oh, I could spend my entire life doing this. No, thank right. you. <laughs> and, you know, and I could, I could like, feel my dad standing behind me going, don't bother. Don't bother with Mm. those idiots. Mm. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, I do it. And there's certain things that I think are super, super important, like right now, like uh, getting vaccinated. That's a stance I've decided to take. It's something my father would have taken. He's a pro-science person. And as I explained the other day on Twitter, he's also a pro keep me alive person. You know, <laughs> he had an actual routine, which I'm sure yeah. Jared would remember, where he talks about, you know, yeah. fill every orifice with 
the plug with right. the sheet, keep me alive. <laughs> like I'm not going plug. anywhere. Yeah. That and the whole, you know, some of the people on the other side of the progressive aisle, more of the right wing people, they like to take his words and twist them. And my dad was pretty much anti-capitalist, even though he did well with the American dream. But mostly he was anti-greed. That mm. was his main mm. thing. He really mm. believed that greed would be the downfall of the human species. Nature will find its way eventually, but because, you know, we have this arrogance and this greed, we are going to do ourselves in first. Like, those are subtle but important points to, to let people know. But otherwise, I have to let most of it just go by my feet. Because you'd just be inundated constantly. And Kelly, as a stand-up comic myself, I learned early on that stupid people don't get irony or sarcasm. <laughs> I mean, the main question I get all the time is, what would he be saying? What would he be saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And this is what I tell him. I say, this is something he actually said. He said, remember, when you're born, you get a ticket to the freak show. When you're born in America... You get a front row seat. <laughs> so great. So great. We talked earlier about the HBO shows. Did I read correctly that your first job in show business was working on one of those shows? Oh, yeah. Total family affair. My mother was a producer. She was a TV producer. She produced all of his HBO stuff. I mm -hmm. was a PA on that early one where it's Phoenix and it's in the round. Mm -hmm. I think mm. it was 14 or 15 and I was in charge of Xeroxes and getting people coffee and, mm. you know, and ordering the lunch. I was a total mm. PA and, and was a PA and then in my 20s moved up the ranks with my mom and doing other producing and stuff. And you've stayed in the family business to some degree. You host a show called The Kelly Carlin Show on Sirius XM that people can listen to on the Comedy Greats channel and also on pretty much the main reason that I keep my SiriusXM subscription beyond the first year that came with my car. There's a channel called Carlin's Corner, which is just George Carlin. Yeah. His material, some of the stuff unreleased, some of the stuff classic bits, as well as people talking about his life and about comedy. How did Carlin's Corner get to be a thing? Uh, we were really lucky. You know, it was after my dad died a couple of years and SiriusXM was looking to expand and do these kind of one-person channels, and we were one mm -hmm. of the first people they approached. Oh, cool. Uh, but I love my show because I get to talk to comedians and writers. We have kind of a deep conversation. I'm more of a psychologist, philosopher type of person. So we have a deep, in-depth, profound kind of life conversations. And I love bringing that aspect of comedians to their audience. And you can find it on uh, Channel 770. Well, let's talk about what you're up to now in addition to all this comedy stuff. You are involved in a coaching program with a pretty specific target. Tell us about what you're doing. Yeah, I have a coaching program called Women on the Verge, and I help women who want a more authentic, fulfilling, successful next chapter in their life. This is the other part of me that's really my biggest joy in life is, is transformation help people see their life through different lenses and to really claim their voice and their place in the world because I think the world needs more women to be in leadership positions. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, wow. Last thing I want to ask you about, uh, you got to participate in a ceremony that honored uh, your father, which is he had a street named after him in the neighborhood he grew up in. What was that like? And uh, tell us about the people who still, after all these years, opposed to that idea. So I just want to give a shout out to Kevin Bartini, the stand-up, the New York stand-up, who organized all of this and did all of this. I said, oh, I yes. know Kevin. Yeah, awesome. yeah, it's great. Kevin's a great guy. And I said yes, and I helped whatever. So right away, though, my, the block my dad grew up on was Corpus Christi, where my grandma went to church and my dad went to elementary school. 
And the person who runs it now, I can't remember it. Like I know it's not a bishop or a cardinal. <laughs> that's too much. But whatever the pastor, whoever the, the priest that ran it uh, back 10 years ago when we did this, he believed that putting the sign on that block would expose children. <laughs> <laughs> the, the children of Corpus Christi to these, you know, these twisted thoughts and words, right? Mm. And, you know, my dad had met this guy. My dad did fundraisers for this place. It was very much a slap Uh. in the face. So we had to go all the way across Amsterdam and then up another block and put it up, up on the, near the park up there. But it's up there. It's on a west, it's west of 121st Street. And I think it's Morningside Drive is up there. People go up there and take pictures and smoke joints underneath it. Now it's legal. (laughs) Now it's legal. Half the bun, that neighborhood shaped and formed my dad and informed him until the day he died. So I'm just thrilled that there's a little Carlin up there still. That's so great. All right. Well, let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Jarrett. We're asking about a notable performance from George Carlin in a movie franchise. First, we wanted to know what was the name of that film franchise. Helen, what did Jarrett say? Jarrett said Bill and Ted. And Kelly? That is correct. (laughs) That is correct for the point. Very good. Next, we want to know what was the name of George Carlin's character that he played in those three films. Helen, what did Jarrett say? Jarrett said Rufus. And Kelly Carlin? And that is correct. That is correct as well. Another point for Jarrett. And finally, we wanted to know what is the name of that character's daughter, which happens to be the name of George Carlin's daughter, who happened to make an appearance in that film. Helen, what did Jarrett say? Jarrett said Julie. (laughs) And Ms. Carlin? Oh, man. Well, obviously, the name is Kelly. Kristen Shaw got to play me. And Ed Solomon, who's the writer with his partner, and he called me to let me know that he had named Rufus's daughter after me. And I proceeded to cry for 20 minutes Oh, uh, because it was just such an honor. I am an extra, but unfortunately, there's a big CG thing covering me. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason they did that was because in the very first one, I am a featured extra. If you watch oh, wow. the first one, and when they the first time they land in the future with my with Rufus, Bill and Ted, all these people kind of come out of the cave and they mm-hmm. do this big air guitar moment. Well, there's mm-hmm. a nice shot of of a woman with a hair slicked back with a bun doing it, and it's the only close-up of the whole scene. Whoa. Oh, that's yeah. super cool. I didn't even know that part. That's great. That's Before really we let you cool. go, Jared, is there anything else you'd like to ask or say to our expert while we have her here? There's a thousand things. I could talk to you for days, but I, I guess the one thing that I would say is you're an only child. I, I wonder, did his love for Tippy ever get in the way of that? Because <laughs> Tippy was a good goddamn doll. I would hear it. That's a that's a heartwarming question, and I'll answer it the way I answer all those kind of questions. You'll have to read my book. Okay, uh, no, I will. Nice. I promise, I will. I I absolutely. I, I send, can't wait. I'll send you yes. one, Jared. I would love yes. that. Thank you very, very much. Oh, it was such a pleasure to be able to speak with you, Kelly. If people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they do that? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Kelly underscore. Carlin, because I'm one of those weird people at the beginning of Twitter who decided they need a space between their name. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Guilty. That's that's mostly where I hang out on social media. And you can always go to my website, which is sort of up to date, kellycarlin.com. And if you're interested in Women on the Verge, go to womenonthevergecoaching.com. And come check it out. I'd love to have a conversation with you about it. Women on the Verge sounds awesome. It is. Well, it's been awesome to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Wonderful to have you. Kelly Carlin. Bye, Kelly. Thank you. Awesome. 
All right, Helen, what is our score at the end of that round? At the end of that round, Jarrett Reddick has seven and a half points, and Molly Ball has two and a half, with a round of questions for Molly coming up. That's right, we're going to talk with Molly about a topic she knows about. Plus, later, Jarrett and Molly will go head to head in our Fast Facts round, all to find a winner on Go Fact Yourself. Helen, we've got a brand new sponsor. Who is it? It is Get Abstract. Get Abstract? Get Abstract. Oh, of course. Get Abstract. Those are the people who find, rate, and summarize the top business books, articles, and video talks into 10-minute abstracts to help people make better decisions in business and in their private lives. That's right. Get Abstract offers over 22,000 text and audio summaries in areas such as leadership, finance, innovation, health and science, and more. This is very useful for lazy people who don't want to read the whole thing like me, yeah. J. Keith. <laughs> or productive people who also feel the same way. <laughs> Helen, how do people get Get Abstract? Well, J. Keith, you can get a free month of Get Abstract by visiting getab.li slash gofact. That's G-E-T-A-B dot L-I slash gofact. Thank, Thank you. you. Get, Get abstract. abstract. If you're sick of constantly arguing with the people closest to you about topics that really aren't going to change the world, we're here to take that stress off of your shoulders. We take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal. That's right, Hal. If you have a subjective question that you want answered objectively once and for all time for all of the people of the world, questions like, who's the best Disney villain, Mac or PC, or should you put ketchup on a hot dog? That's why we're here. Yes, I get that these are the biggest questions of our time, and we're often joined by special guests like Nathan Fillion, Orlando Jones, and Paget Brewster. So let Mark and Hal take care of it for you on We Got This with Mark and Hal, weekly on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Go Fact Yourself with our guests, Jarrett Reddick and Molly Ball. Once again, here's J. Keith Van Stratton. Thank you, Helen. All right, Molly, of your many interests, you told us you know a lot about crossword puzzles, the life and works of the American poet James Merrill, and the 1990s Colorado Rockies baseball team. Let's find out a little bit more about each of those. First, tell us why you love crossword puzzles. Well, first of all, I would like to make clear that these are by far my three nerdiest interests, uh, <laughs> and that like Jarrett, I also like cool things uh like music <laughs> uh yeah I, I just i'm a word nerd i like doing crossword puzzles uh always also i like trivia so crossword yeah. puzzles are kind of in that zone lately i found myself actually doing doing number puzzles more than word puzzles but i am sort of a puzzle oh. junkie either way and uh do you feel like you're cheating on crosswords when you do a sudoku or something i did it first sudoku got too easy so now i'm on ken ken oh a humble brag very oh, yeah. like that sudoku gets so easy yes <laughs> All right, Molly, you also said you know a lot about the life and works of the American poet James Merrill. I wrote my college thesis on Merrill. He's a beautiful poet, has always spoken to me. Lanny Hammer was the chair of the English department at the time and advised my thesis and has written a wonderful new biography of James Merrill. Um, so I had that that slight connection to him as well. And there continues to be actually a a sort of vibrant community of Merrill heads, like people who are into Merrill. And I'm not even kidding. We have an yeah. email list. We do events sometimes. Uh, so it's a very nice community. Do you have T-shirts? Please tell me there's T-shirts. There are not T-shirts, but maybe <laughs> oh, we could get soon, some. Oh, soon, soon. 
I love it. And then finally, you said you know a lot about the 1990s Colorado Rockies. Yes, I grew up in Denver. When I used to play fantasy baseball, my fantasy team was named Bichette Happens, a tribute nice. to uh, the yes. uh, 90s player, Dante Bichette, uh, whose son actually is now a Major League Baseball player. I do believe you have a moral obligation to root for your hometown team. So these people who are like from, from Cleveland, but they root for the Yankees, I have, I have nothing but contempt for those people. So to summarize, Molly, you said you know a lot about crossword puzzles, the life and works of the American poet James Merrill, and the 1990s Colorado Rockies baseball team. Today we're going to quiz you about crossword puzzles. All right. A, si- a silent nod. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I couldn't, tell, couldn't tell what was behind that. All right, let's go. Well, first of all, we, uh, which ones do you enjoy doing and how often do you do them? Well, as I said, I don't do them as often as I used to. I do the Times puzzle. I do some of the other freelance puzzles that are out there. Are you someone who does them in pencil or pen? Well, nowadays they're all on, you know, on my phone or my iPad. Ah, but, of course. Uh, but back in the day, I will say, I, I think the whole pencil-pen dichotomy is a bit of a red herring. I don't think you're better oh. at crosswords if you do them in pen, because particularly with the hard ones, you have to, you know, rough some things in there. And if you're all about certainty all the time, I think on, on like a metaphysical level, it's better to embrace the uncertainty, the mm. ambiguity <laughs> of the letters. So you live your life in pencil is what you're saying. <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all? Mm. <laughs> so philosophical. Whether, whether we like it or not. Yeah, yeah. Well, just ahead, we're going to enlist the help of a bona fide expert in your topic with a three-part question. But before that, to give you a chance to show off your five trivia questions about your topic, if you want it, you'll have a total of two hints in these five questions. Now, Jarrett, do listen closely because you can steal if Molly gets any of them wrong. Jarrett, by the way, how much do you know about crossword puzzles? Uh, zero. I didn't even know that there was a thing about the, um, about it's, it's, I guess that's sort of like two-inch tape, right? It's the same thing, right? If you record the two-inch tape, you're cool. If you record onto a computer, it's terrible. I record onto a computer. So I guess I'm using pen or pencil. I don't care. I couldn't quite follow that, but we'll see if Molly lets you (laughs) steal a question. Here's question number one from Molly Ball. It's a great honor, of course, to be the answer to a crossword clue. And someone on this very episode knows exactly what it's like because she was the answer to a crossword clue in USA Today on December 26th of 2020. Who was it? Uh, Was it Helen? Helen? It was me. It was you. Very good. That's so cool. Thank I'm so you. Jealous. It was very exciting. <laughs> has anyone else in this episode uh, been an answer on a crossword puzzle? I actually believe Bowling for Soup has. We've actually also been a Jeopardy question three times. What? Oh. That's way cooler. Super yeah. cool. I'm not trying to one-up you. I'm trying to make up for that last little bit that I did. <laughs> no, you're, you're trying to three-up her. <laughs> you fully, you fully, you fully one-upped me. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's a point for Molly. Here's question number two. Most daily crossword puzzles in the U.S. are supposed to be easiest on Monday, then get progressively more difficult through the week. But according to the puzzle pages of the Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, and Newsday, the most difficult puzzle isn't the edition on Sunday, but on which other day? Saturday. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. All right, here's question number three. You're two for two. Not all crosswords are created alike, and neither are the crossword constructors, or compilers, as they're sometimes called. In 1968, a writer more famous for writing musicals helped popularize a British puzzle style in America by creating several dozen puzzles in this style for New York Magazine. What is this style called? Or tell us, who was this famous Pulitzer Prize-winning composer and lyricist? I'm guessing they were cryptics, but I'm going to take the hint. Helen, how about that first hint? The type of puzzle is a word that rhymes with triptych, and some say his song City on Fire from Sweeney Todd is his most apocalyptic. I was right. It was cryptic. Helen? 
That is correct. That is correct. Cryptic is the type of puzzle. Stephen Sondheim is the famous composer who wrote those puzzles. Fun fact, cryptic crosswords use clues that themselves are small puzzles. All right, here's question number four. You are three for three, Molly. Crosswords are supposed to be fun, but in what some called the crossword panic of 1944, British security service MI5 interrogated the creator of the Daily Telegraph's crosswords because code words connected to the planned D-Day invasion in June had appeared in some puzzle answers in May. It turned out to be a coincidence, and spoiler alert, the D-Day invasion went ahead as planned. What was one of the words that appeared in these puzzles that drew concern from intelligence officials? Wow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for the hint again. Helen, how about that second hint? Several of the answers referenced code names for the beaches, one of which is also the name of a city in Nebraska. Omaha. Helen? That is correct. That is correct for the point. The other words that had appeared in the puzzles that month included Gold, Sword, Juno, Utah, Overlord, Mulberry, and Neptune. Gold, Sword, Juno, Utah, and Omaha were code names for beaches. Neptune was code for naval support. Mulberry was the floating harbor. And Winston Churchill himself is credited for naming the entire operation Overlord. All right, Molly, you have a chance to go five for five. You do have no hints available, though, but let's see how you do with this question. Molly, it wouldn't be a quiz on crossword puzzles without asking you to solve a clue. So here it is. 14 letters starting with C, someone who enjoys solving crossword puzzles. Molly counting out the letters on her fingers. Cruciverbalist. Helen? That is correct. Wow. Molly Ball is five wow. for five. Nice pull, Molly. Wow, Very... that is so hard. Did you just know that? That's crazy. I did just hard. know that, but I apparently don't know how to count. <laughs> That's what <took> so long. <laughs> <laughs> And yet you prefer number puzzles now. It's very interesting. Can I please give the hint? Yes, you did not need the hint, but Helen, what would that hint have been? It rhymes with juicy herbalist. Oh, wow. It sort of does. Yes. <laughs> That's so gross. Uh, uh, <laughs> it really is. It really is. Best not to think of that. Fun fact, Cruciverbalist can refer to someone who enjoys solving crossword puzzles, as well as someone who is skillful at creating crossword puzzles. All right, Molly, you obviously did very well in that round, but now here is your expert level question that requires multiple answers. It is time for your cluster fact. We'll be bringing on an expert to assess your response. Molly, a 2006 documentary film is credited with increasing interest in crosswords. That film featured several players competing in a crossword puzzle tournament organized by a famous crossword puzzle editor, a tournament and an editor still active today. For up to three points, what is the name of that documentary? What is the name of the American tournament featured in the documentary? And who is that crossword puzzle editor who organized the tournament and is featured prominently in the film? Well, it's Will Shorts in the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament, um, which I okay. believe was held in Connecticut, at least at one point. Um, but I, ah, documentary is what I don't know. So I'm just going to guess it was called Crossword. No, that's too boring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't write headlines for my stories. Uh, <laughs> uh, wordplay. So the title of the film you say is? Wordplay. All right. Helen is taking note of those answers. We have an expert on hand who can tell us for sure. Helen, who do we have tonight? Joining us tonight is the founder and director of the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament, who since 1993 has been the puzzle editor of the New York Times. It's Will Shorts. Oh, my God. All my attempts to submit answers for the NPR puzzle, and this is the way I finally get to talk to Will Shorts. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and this isn't nerdy at all. Come on. <laughs> 
<laughs> I agree. I agree. You guys can't see it, but we're like smoking crack right now. It's really cool. Like all of the cool podcast guests do. Uh, well, wel- welcome, Will Shorts. As, uh, as Molly mentioned, uh, people also know your voice as Puzzle Master for NPR's Weekend Edition Sunday, which you've been doing since the show started in 1987. You also founded the World Puzzle Championship in 1992, co-founded the World Puzzle Federation in 1999, and have been the author or editor of more than 500 puzzle books. What a treat it is wow. to welcome you to our show. Great to be here. So this is actually not the first time you've been a guest on a game show. Uh, I recently saw you in a clip from To Tell the Truth. What was that experience like for you? Well, first of all, they invited me to uh, to appear as the New York Times crossword editor. But they have a segment before that where there was a real apiarist and two other people. And we had to all pretend to be beekeepers. And uh, the, the panelists tried to guess which of us was the real beekeeper. And then I think what, the, the clip that started to go a little bit viral was that uh, Gillian Jacobs was one of the panelists, and she recognized you right away because she was a fan and had listened to you on NPR. That's right. Yeah. She asked each of us, what do they call you on NPR? Once she heard my voice, she said, well, I know, I know. And the host told her to shut up and let the others play. <laughs> <laughs> As all good game show hosts do. Molly, you mentioned that you've submitted uh, answers on that show? More uh when I was younger, yeah, but we would always listen to that when I was growing up, and um, and I did once or twice know the answer. Most of the times, it stumped me, frankly. Yeah, well, do that again. That would be so cool to have you on the show. <laughs> I agree. I'll get back into it. <laughs> oh, great. Well, it's wonderful to be able to bring you two together. Let's talk about your work at the New York Times. If you can give us a quick sketch, what exactly does a crossword puzzle editor do? We get around 200 crossword submissions a week. Uh, when wow. I started at the Times in 1993, it was a department of one. I did everything myself. The department's grown. There's five of us. And so we all look at the submissions. We decide which ones we that excite us the most. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can only publish seven a week. So it's extremely competitive to get an acceptance. Mm-hmm. Once a puzzle is slated for a day of the week, then we're editing for accuracy, most important, but also for playfulness, a sense of fun, proper level of difficulty for the day of the week, everything that goes toward making a crossword fun. We talked about how a lot of publications of puzzles get more difficult throughout the week. Uh, I read that that was actually your idea to do that. Um, I made the slope of difficulty steeper. Mm -hmm. Margaret Farrer, who's the first New York Times crossword editor from 1942 to 69, she made Saturday what she called a two cups of coffee puzzle. <laughs> Most people don't have a job to go to on Saturday. So that was the extra hard one. I made the Monday puzzles easier than they ever had been before, but the Saturdays harder than they ever had been before, mm. I think. And not difficult by being obscure, you know, Yeah. Uh, but by twisting your brain. How do you judge difficulty of a puzzle and therefore where to slot it during the week? I put myself in the solver's shoes. It's partly the vocabulary. You know, are there any difficult words or the things that everyone knows? I can make a Monday puzzle a Saturday one Mm. by ramping up the difficulty of the clues. But I can't make a Saturday puzzle a Monday because it's just naturally hard. I think every puzzle has a natural level of difficulty. And so I try to edit toward whatever that is. Well, we've talked about crosswords being sort of a nerdy pursuit. You've been credited with making crosswords sexy. Uh, How do you feel about that uh, distinction? Wow. Oh, what I say is I don't think they're ever going to be sexy and I'm not sure they'll ever actually be cool. Mm -hmm. What I'd like to do is make crosswords semi-cool. That's my goal. Very good. And and by the way, uh, on video, Molly was, Molly was wincing in disgust when I, when I, when I made that, uh, gave that quote, you don't want crosswords to be sexy. Do you Molly? (laughs) (laughs) It 
just a little weird. It's like it's like someone calling like your your dad or your elementary school teacher. Uh. Sexy, you know, that's, like, that's, not, that's not where that word should be. That's, no that, offense, that's Will. not what we're here for. And I know that that's there are, you know, for. like like porn crosswords or whatever. But like yeah. I like my crosswords oh. to be good, clean, fun. <laughs> Will, do you do yours in pen or pencil? I like to do it in erasable pen. Ah, split the difference. Ah. There you go. Well, uh, puzzles, of course, are a passion of yours. There's another great love of yours that may equal that. Uh, it is table tennis. How did you get into table tennis and to actually owning a table tennis center? I grew up in a little town in Indiana. My family had a ping pong table, so I played when I was a kid. I won some trophies when I was in high school, which I still have and display at my club. In 2011, I opened my own club, the Westchester Table Tennis Center. It's in Westchester County, just north of New York City. Uh, we're open every day. We're open till 10 o'clock every day. I haven't missed a day of table tennis in, in nine years. Wow. The, the streak is still alive. Good to hear. And uh, it's an open club. Everyone is welcome. Costs $12 to come in and play. And uh, really, if you come there in the evening, I will probably be there to greet you. I find it hilarious and I guess kind of predictable that someone whose job is is crossword puzzling does uses his downtime in something extremely physical. Yeah, <laughs> You can't get away from those yeah. black and white squares either. <laughs> I get asked a lot, what do crosswords and table tennis have in common? Mm-hmm. And I say, first of all, they're both brainy things. Um, and the second thing is, when you're doing a good crossword, you forget everything else in life. Mm-hmm. You're focused on this challenge. And when you're done, you're relaxed and refreshed and ready for everything else in life. And it's the same thing with a tough table tennis match. You're focused on winning the point, winning the game. You forget everything else in the world, and you feel great when you're done. Very cool. Well, let's get to the reason we brought you here as far as our game is concerned. You heard the question that we asked of Molly. First, we wanted to know what was the name of that 2006 documentary film about crossword puzzles. Helen, what did Molly say? Molly said wordplay. And Mr. Shorts? That is correct. Bravo. Wow, Molly, very nice figuring out. Uh, uh, Will, can you imagine if they just called that movie Crosswords? I know, so boring. <laughs> so boring, we all agree. All right, that's a point there for Molly. Next, we want to know what is the tournament that was featured in that documentary. Helen, what did Molly say? Molly said the American Crossword Puzzle Tournament. And? That is exactly correct. That is exactly correct for another point for Molly. And finally, we wanted to know who is the famous crossword puzzle editor who organized that crossword puzzle tournament. Helen, what did Molly say? Molly said Will Shorts. And? Hmm, let me think about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll count that as correct. That is correct. Molly Ball with a perfect game. Congratulations, Molly. You swept your category. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I was just going to say with the, the wordplay thing, I'm sure Will knows this feeling that when you do a lot of crosswords or trivia or that kind of thing, you just have all these facts rattling around in your head and sometimes you don't even know if they're real or where you've seen them or if they're a fact. So that just must have been rattling around in my head, even though I could not come up with it. And I don't think I've seen the movie. Oh, I recommend it. It's really great. It actually came up uh, in a topic we did on Indigo Girls because Indigo Girls appeared in that movie and uh, we asked a question about it when uh, we had that topic. Before we let Mr. Schwartz go, Molly, is there anything else you'd like to say or ask of our expert while we have him here? So you got me into Ken Ken and now I feel like I maybe exhausted it. What should I do next? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Ken Ken is great. I actually prefer that to Sudoku. Me too. I edit the whole puzzle section of the New York Times every December. I think this year's will come out around December 12, whatever Sunday is around there. It's uh, 12 pages of all kinds of puzzles, crosswords, logic puzzles, picture puzzles, trivia puzzles. 
So check that out if you can in the New York Times. I always do. I always do. <laughs> uh, oh, how lovely. Will Short, it was so wonderful to speak with you. If people want to find out more about you and your work, where can they do that? I think you should go to westchestertabletennis.com or the New York Times. Yeah, if you have to, we can always end up seeing you in the New York Times. Uh, what a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much. Will Shorts, everybody. Thanks a lot. All right, Helen, what is our score as we head into the final round? At the end of that round, Jarrett Reddick has seven and a half points and Molly Ball has ten and a half points. Wow. All right, but our game is not over yet because now it is time for our final round we call Fast Facts. I'll read ten statements and each contestant will answer with true or false. I'll start with Jarrett and alternate between each guest. Each correct answer is worth one point. Again, the answer to each statement is true or false. Here we begin. Jarrett, Marriott is a brand of hotels. True. That is correct. Molly, Marriott has over 100 hotel properties. True. Correct. Yep, they actually have over 5,000. Jarrett, Marriott has over 1 million hotel rooms. True. Correct. Molly, Marriott has over 2 million hotel rooms. Oh, correct. Yeah, but just about 1.5 million. Jarrett, Marriott was founded by someone named Marriott. That is true. Correct. Yep, Jay Willard and Alice Marriott. Molly, before starting a hotel, Marriott's first business was a McDonald's franchise. True. Incorrect. Jarrett, before starting a hotel, Marriott's first business was an A&W root beer franchise. True. Correct. Yeah. Molly, Marriott's first hotel opened over 50 years after their A&W franchise. False. Correct. Yeah, it was 30 years later. Jarrett, Marriott's first hotel was in California. False. Correct. Yeah, it was in Virginia. Molly, that first hotel is still open today. True. Incorrect. No, it closed in 1988. And finally, Jarrett, ironically, that first hotel is now an A&W root beer franchise. <laughs> False. <laughs> Correct. We're not going to count that one. It actually now is a public park. Uh, I want to thank Molly Ball and Jarrett Reddick as Helen tabulates our final score. Helen, are you ready to announce the final score on today's episode? At the end of the game, Jarrett Reddick has 12 and a half points and Molly Ball has 13 and a half points. Oh, a very valiant comeback effort by Jarrett Reddick. But Molly, you are today's facting champion on Go Factors. Molly, what will you do with your championship? Put it in my bank account and pay my taxes, like I always do. <laughs> oh, boy, do I have some disappointing news for you. <laughs> Unless you're getting a refund, I don't know how much that's going to help, but we certainly appreciate the sentiment. That just leaves everyone on the episode the chance to promote anything they might like our listeners to find them doing. Jarrett Reddick, where can people find you and your work? Super easy for me. Um, I'm in Bowling for Soup. I'm in a band called Jarrett and Kelly. I do podcasts called Jarrett Goes to the Movies, a podcast called Rockstar Dad. Here's the thing. It's way too much for you to learn all of the stuff. <laughs> Stuff, so just go to jarrettreddick.com or follow me anywhere at J-A-R-E-T-2113. And of course, uh, always check bowlingforsoup.com for those tour dates. And um, what a pleasure. This has been great. I'm so glad oh, that I'm I so got happy to, to hear that. So glad really? I got to meet you guys. Kelly, That Kelly thing was such a surprise. And Molly, it's such an honor to meet you and to, uh, to be beaten by you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Molly, the beater in question, uh, it's been wonderful to have you from our end as well. Where can people find you and your work? Uh, in Time Magazine, uh, subscriptions to which are surprisingly affordable at time.com uh, and on Twitter at Molly-esque, meaning, you know, in the manner of a Molly, like a Molly, M-O-L-L-Y-E-S-Q-U-E. Excellent. Well, it's been wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for joining us, Molly Ball. It's been so much fun. And Jarrett, it was an honor to beat you as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, you are very lucky because my hosting partner is Ms. Helen Hong. Helen, which of your many projects would you like to tell our listeners about today? I am also on NPR like Will Shorts is. Once in a while, I am a panelist on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR about once a month. Follow me on the socials at 
funny Helen Hong because ugh, some other woman named Helen Hong is all my handles. And I haven't killed her yet. So follow me. I'm the funny <laughs> Helen Hong. You have not killed her yet, as we nope. like to say, one day at a time. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Helen. Uh, and me, you can find me on Twitter at J underscore Keith, because again, the whole thing with the Twitter and the underscores, you can find me on Instagram at jkeith.net, all spelled out. That just leaves me to thank Molly Ball, Jarrett Reddick, Kelly Carlin, and Will Shorts, and thank you for listening and supporting our show at MaximumFun.org. I'm J. Keith Van Stratton. Good night. Like what you hear? Come see us live someday, I hope. Go to GoFactorPod.com for our schedule and tickets. Meanwhile, please like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at GoFactorPod, and update our wiki at GoFactorWiki.Fandom.com and buy our T-shaped shirt at MaxFunStore.com. And give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts like Laura G. Reynolds did. He, she, or they said, lots of fun. It's smart but goofy. Thanks, Laura G. Reynolds. We call smart but goofy Smoofy. Helen? <laughs> Go Fact Yourself is a panel quiz program devised and produced by Jim Newman and J. Keith Van Stratton and comes to you via transcription from various homes across the country. Questions were compiled by the Trivia Industrial Complex, with some questions on this episode written by Daryl Sung. We are produced in collaboration with Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun senior producer is Laura Swisher. Associate producer and editor is Julian Burrell. Our show engineer is Dave McKeever. Our theme song and incidental music were written and performed by Jonathan Green. Research assistance provided by Adam Needif. Quiz assistance provided by Clint Tauscher and Mike Avellanos. Promotional graphics by Erich Tran. Added support from Trip Payne, Dylan Brody, Amy Engelhart, Dave Bianchi, and Christine Vallada. Special thanks to Julia Rowley. I've been Helen Hong. Let's go do crossword puzzles. In pen. Ooh. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.